morning to everyone. I'm grateful to the Sangam Talks for giving me the platform to discuss about the pre-recorded period of India and that of the world. I'm thankful to you all for taking your time out from your busy schedule to attend this presentation. The antiquity of the Indian civilization is poorly understood at this point of time. Indian civilization could be one of the oldest civilizations of the world, if not the oldest. There's a need to deal with prehistoric human migration and correctly assess the age of the Indian civilization by assimilating information from all possible sources and relevant subjects. There has to be a multidisciplinary and scientific approach to study the subject. I've authored a book titled India in Egypt. I'm going to discuss about the contents of the book in, the, in this presentation. As the name of the book suggests, it is all about an intense connectivity between the Indian and the Egyptian civilization. In fact, I'm making an effort to establish that the Egyptian civilization was developed by the Indian origin people. It is possible that in the meantime, the British education system, which continued for 200 years, has established Indian history in a manner which suited them. We are almost blindly following the British guidance in our education system. They not only managed to distort our history, but actually convinced us that the Indo-Aryans from the West came to India and established civilization in this part of the world. Under the circumstances, my concept of Indian origin people spreading to dis distant lands and establishing other ancient civilizations may appear unbelievable. Because in the meantime, what we have been taught in our academic curriculum does not encourage such a line of thinking. But it is possible to prove that we, what we have been taught may not be correct in every sense. Ground evidences and available scientific data suggest that Indian origin people had traveled to different corners of the world several thousand years ago. They settled in different distant territories and over a period of time established many ancient civilizations, if not all. Let us make an attempt to analyze ground evidences and available scientific data. Presently, we are making an effort to understand our past by studying individual subjects to achieve our goal. This method has its own limitations. Like historians and archeologists have very little knowledge about the genetic distribution of the global population to even imagine the presence of Indian population in the Western world. Moreover, history is based on recorded evidences which extends to only say 2,500 years in relation to India. Whereas archeological evidences presently available clearly establishes that Indian civilization is almost 10,000 years old. This pre-recorded period remains least discussed in scientific forums. In my book, India in Egypt, I have tried to apply a multidisciplinary approach to explain the sequence of events of the pre-recorded period of India. I realize that unless we take this approach, we will never be able to arrange the events of the pre-recorded period in a scientific manner. I've compiled information from sources like archeology, span language, culture, ancient literature, history, and genetics as far as I could understand them. I've written about the history of migration of anatomically modern humans in a completely new way. To understand this phenomena, in my opinion, we have to understand the sequence of events which take place in India. What are the evidences of those events? 
can this be still found once these evidences are considered you will be compelled to think about the origin and spread of the modern civilization in a new way evidences of each phase of development of the indian civilization are well preserved in india genetic findings may provide scientific information about the site and period of origin of a fraternity much more precisely moreover genetic evidences about indian population have been generated by the western scholars themselves but they need to be arranged in a more meaningful manner a number of papers recently published on the subject are least discussed at the global level i think we have the responsibility to arrange the events of pre recorded period of india on the basis of ground evidences and available scientific information we have to incorporate scientific information which has emerged in the last couple of decades especially in genetics and archaeology i have compiled information from all possible scientific sources as well as from our ancient texts like the rig vedas in order to present my narrative latest information from all relevant subjects when considered in tandem gives us a completely new picture of the possible pre-recorded period of india presently we are taught that indian fraternities have arrived from different directions with their language and ethnic identities indo-aryans have come from the west and more particularly from europe with their indo-european language similarly austroasiatics and tibeto-burman speakers have arrived from the east india is referred to as a melting pot on the other hand ground evidences and available recent genetic data do not appear to suggest such an ethnic composition of the indian population india as a melting pot is true only if we consider the events related to the last 3 or 4000 years in other words this is not the primary migration of the indian origin fraternities but their reverse migration back to india indian origin people had spread to distant lands much before that 6 to 10000 years ago genetic evidences strongly suggest such a view we are amh or anatomically modern humans scientifically known as homo sapiens amh originated in africa 200000 years ago in indian relation it is 2 lakh years ago they came to india about 65000 years ago following their out of africa move and great coastal migration we do have definite evidences to suggest that anatomical modern human lived continuously along the east coast of india thus we find two divisions of aboriginal tribes the jarawange sentinelis entering the andaman archipelago about 40000 years ago and the great andamanis entering much later possibly 20 to 25000 years ago they managed to walk into the andaman archipelago during the two consecutive glacial periods when andaman got physically connected with bengal myanmar coast by a land bridge this confirms that india serves as the intermediate host and anatomically modern human lived in india for an entire period of 65000 years since their arrival from africa we see these aboriginal tribes in the andaman archipelago but do not try to find out how they reached there certainly they did not reach there 40000 years ago by ship or by air then how did they reach there did they walk into andaman archipelago even that we do not discuss 
Similarly, we see a large number of dark complexion tribes only south of the Vindhya Parbat, which also suggests continuous survival of the pre-glacial period population in India. Why are they not present in northern India or even in northeast India? Why are they not found anywhere else in the rest of Eurasia? It is highly possible that these tribal people who are still around belong to the pre-glacial period or early post-glacial period. They are rare groups of anatomically modern humans who have survived only in India in the entire Eurasia. Because they belong to a completely different period, they have a different genetic identity, erroneously referred to as the ancestral South Indian population by the geneticists. Andaman tribes are definitely pre-glacial period anatomical modern fraternities. Post-glacial period anatomical modern fraternities like R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo haplogroups originated on the Bengal glacial coastal shelf during the last glacial period and they migrated to distant lands as their coastal landmass submerged during the post-glacial period. Thus, my concept of human migration based on ground evidences is absolutely different. We have to make an effort to understand the event since the arrival of the anatomically modern humans of or AMH from Africa to India 65,000 years ago. When we analyze the evidences preserved in India and arrange them in a meaningful sequence, an entirely new narrative of modern human migration emerges, which remains least discussed at the global forums. It appears that the Indian origin people had traveled during the post-glacial period about 10,000 years ago to the Mediterranean coast, Egypt and Greece with their language and culture. They remained in touch with India since then till recently. It took me 20 years to arrange the events collecting evidences from all over the subcontinent. I've published a number of books documenting my experience of exploration of several little known territories like the Northeast India, Ladakh, pre-Portuguese Goa, Andamans, Nicobars, and so on. I've written books only on those regions which have certain unknown aspects that no book talks about. It is no point to only think that Indian civilization is extremely old, if not the oldest. There is a need to arrange and establish this with evidences acceptable to the global scholars. It took me two decades to collect evidences, understand the process, and arrange the events in the right sequence. I had to not only extensively explore every possible corner of the entire Indian subcontinent, but even the Mediterranean region in Egypt to collect evidences available at that end and arrange the sequence of events in the right manner. By then, I had realized that only library materials will not be enough for such a study. There is a need to explore India and collect ground evidences which are so far not documented. That includes exploring most remote territories of India, like Northeast India and Upper Indus Valley of Ladakh. That also includes exploring Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and the Mediterranean region. To understand the entire process, I have talked about a number of new concepts which are highly important to India, but unfortunately, nobody talks about them. They are the rising and lowering of seawater level during glacial and interglacial periods and formation of the land bridge to the Andaman archipelago. Formation of the Bengal glacial coastal shelf 
submersion of the bengal glacial coastal shelf and displacement of the fraternity settled there significance of animal symbols and how these were used to represent different human fraternities trans himalayan migration pivoting mount kailash spread of matriarchal culture from india temporary and permanent settlement zones of india reverse migration by land and sea routes reverse migration from egypt and europe let me show you a short video in order to display how i approach the subject and arrange the events in the right sequence to present the pre-recorded period of india in a scientific and evidence based manner though indian civilization is discussed along with other ancient civilizations of the world like the sumerian mesopotamian egyptian and greek civilizations it could be much older than the rest presently the indian civilization is considered 5000 years old and its origin is explained linked with the indo-aryan migration discovery of several newer archaeological sites suggests that this civilization is at least 10000 years old it is also possible that the indian civilization played the role of a mother in the origin of other ancient civilizations amh or anatomically modern humans scientifically known as homo sapiens sapiens originated in africa about 2 lakh years ago they arrived in india tentatively 65000 years ago the presence of a large number of dark complexion tribes in india suggests the continuous survival of amh here though amh reached europe and northern asia during every interglacial period they could not survive there during the severe weather of glacial maximum and became extinct present population has reached there from india during the last interglacial period 10000 years ago during glacial period a huge coastal landmass surfaces between the bengal and myanmar coast at this time the population of two distinct genetic territories the bengal coast and southeast asia intermix producing newer genetic identities like r1 alpha and r1 bravo haplogroup in y chromosome as the sea water gradually rises during the interglacial period this coastal landmass submerges displacing the settled population they settled on the bengal coast and adopted various animal symbols as their ethnic identity the naga tiger lion elephant fish turtle avian primate each animal symbol seen at various archaeological sites represented an indian origin human fraternity they eventually migrated following the trans himalayan migration routes which bifurcated from mount kailash about 10000 years ago r1 bravo fraternity descended from kailash and followed the makran coast to reach africa where the egyptian civilization developed the indus valley civilization emerged on this route Similarly about 5800 years ago R1 alpha fraternity migrated to Europe along with the spoken Sanskrit language The migration path of the Bagh fraternity can be traced from Bagdogra in North Bengal ascending along the Bagmati river and reaching the Baglungkali temple in Nepal and finally Baghdad in Mesopotamia across Mount Kailash A number of localities named after Bagh in Afghanistan like Baglan Bagram Baghdad is located on river Tigris which also means bog in Bengali. Koch or the turtle fraternity migration path can be established from Bengal and Assam along river Jomuna of Bangladesh to reach Kailash. Incidentally, turtle is the vahun of Jomuna suggesting its migration along the river. 
As one descends along Indus from Kailash, one reaches Kutch of Gujarat and Kutchi district of Baluchistan. Following the Persian Gulf, one reaches the territory of Kassites in Mesopotamia and finally the Kutch fraternity emerges as Kushites in the Horn of Africa. It is possible that the Caspian Sea and Caucasus Mountains were so named as they were Kutch fraternity settlements. It is likely that a matriarchal culture evolved on the Bengal coast at a very early date. During this period, goddesses became popular. Kali is known as Adi Shakti or primordial energy. It is likely that goddesses like Kali, Durga, Lakshmi, Saraswati, Manasha, which are extremely popular in Bengal, emerged during a matriarchal period when women were considered as the depository of knowledge, wealth, and power. As the matriarchal community spread to Egypt, we find emergence of goddesses like Nut, Hathor, and Isis in Egypt. Lieutenant Wilford, a British officer, wrote an article in the Asiatic Researches in 1794 where he established that the Nile River was known as the Kali River and this is mentioned in the Padma Puran and Skanda Puran. Similarly in Greece, Athena was very popular at the early stage of the establishment of the European civilization. Athens, the ancient city of Greece, derived its name from Athena like Kolkata deriving its name from Kali. The Sphinx of Alexandria in Egypt guarding Pompey's pillar complex appeared to me very similar to Durga who is inseparably associated with the lion. In fact, Lieutenant Wilford mentioned in his article that the Sphinx name originated from the word Shingik meaning Shingho-like or associated with lion. I was overjoyed to read that Sphinx was associated with the word Shingho. Shingho is a typical Bengali word meaning lion. I was equally thrilled when I went to the Phila temple in Aswan in Egypt. I found typical brachycephalic faces and slanting eyes of Isis created on the temple pillars, remarkably similar to the faces of the deities of Bengal. On top of almost every pillar, lotus images have been sculpted, when lotus is not a natural flower of Egypt. Moreover, Isis is shown with a yellow complexion, very similar to Lakshmi or Sri of Bengal. At the entrance of the Edfu temple, a large image of falcon is bound to attract the attention of Indians. This mythical eagle is the associate of Horus in Egypt. Our Hori or Vishnu also has a strikingly similar mythical eagle popularly known as Gorur as his bound. I wonder if Hori has manifested as Horus in Egypt, Oshur manifesting as Osiris and Sri as Isis. Interestingly, like our Osur, Osiris is also green complexioned, a rather unusual color of the skin. The relative position of Nut and Jeb, two early deities of the Egyptian pantheon, appeared to have a similarity with the composite image of Kali and Shiva of Bengal. Here, the deity Nut is placed over her consort Jeb, who lies on the ground like Shiva in Bengal. The names Jeb and Shib are phonetically quite similar. Moreover, Nut is studded with stars and one of the manifestations of Kali is Tara meaning stars. Kali is associated with the crematorium in India and Nut with the burial sites in Egypt. Interestingly, Nut and Jeb have two sons and two daughters very similar to Shiva and Durga of Bengal. In the second half of my book, I have discussed the evidences of reverse migration of the Indian origin fraternities from Egypt by different routes in different periods. The land route reverse migration took place along the Uttarapath and the Indus Valley civilization. We find the emergence of the reverse migration animal symbols like the lion, horse, boar and peacock along the Uttarapath. 
They are found all over the subcontinent, especially in the Indian Himalayas, Nepal, Bhutan, Tibetan Plateau, Bengal and Northeast India. A number of evidences identify the onward and reverse migration routes. I have seen two owners of a shop in Pokhara, Nepal. One was shot with brachycephalic features, which is a typical feature of indigenous Indians, while the other was not only tall but had oligocephalic face, which is a typical feature of some regions of Europe. I have also seen Kali in Kamala Shagar temple of Tripura draped in a white sari, suggesting her reverse migration nature. Over a period, the sea route reverse migration from the Red Sea region got established and extended to the Bay of Bengal as they were keen to reach the matriarchal territories of Gangaridi. The Prakrita-speaking fraternities returned back to Bengal at this stage. As the Bengali-speaking reverse migration fraternities settled in Bangladesh, their Bengali dialects were different. I realized that the reverse migration fraternities had settled in the Northeast India since a very early period. During the land route migration period, they had come through Uttarapath along river Brahmaputra from Koilash. Many of them had settled in the higher reaches of the Himalayas like Monpas of Tawang, while some others descended to the Brahmaputra valley. The reverse migration fraternities from the Red Sea arrived later who settled in the region using two different routes. One fraternity from the Bay of Bengal ascended along the rivers of Bangladesh to settle in Assam and Tripura. Thus we find ancient Greek art popularly known as Hellenistic art in the 6th century Dahaparvatiya temple of Tejpur. In Koilashahod Tripura, we find unusual huge rock-cut images of Shiva in the Unakoti complex. The other group entered the Northeast Indian states from the east as they ascended along the river Iravati and Chindwin. The Ahoms reached along this route in the 13th century. The ancestral memorial of Ahoms in Charaidao are known as Maidems, which are miniature replica of the pyramids of Egypt. In fact, the oldest Egyptian pyramids were also known as Maidems. The Hebrew name of Egypt is Mirzaim. Mizos had been given visa by Israel as they were considered to be one of the lost tribes of Israel. One of the oldest Egyptian documents, Periplus of the Eritrean Sea, compiled at the beginning of the Christian era mentions about the connectivity of the Red Sea and this region. There is a need to arrange the pre-recorded period of India based on available ground evidences. In that direction, I intend to start a discussion on several issues which need serious attention. At this juncture, we have to understand the unique nature of the east coast of India. We have to conceptualize the periodic surfacing of the Bengal glacial coastal shelf and formation of a land bridge connecting Bengal Myanmar coast with the Andaman archipelago. It is important that we appreciate how the Aboriginal tribes of Andaman, like the Jaroaungi and the Great Andamanese, walked into the archipelago during the consecutive glacial maximums. There is a need to appreciate the unique physical nature of the east coast of India and the events which occurred there during the last glacial and interglacial periods. Only then we would be able to appreciate the site of origin of the newer genetic identities of the post-glacial period like the like R1 alpha and R1 bravo haplogroup in Y chromosome in the region. In fact, it is possible to trace the early migration of these two genetic identities quite nicely detecting their footprints. They started their journey from the east coast of India and reached whichever region where they are now found all over the world. 
Now let us see the video to appreciate the unique nature of the Bengal coast and what happened there during the last glacial period. Several ethnic fraternities adopted various animal symbols and as they migrated from the east coast, they spread Indian languages to those distant lands. What was so special about the east coast of India where all these ethnic fraternities developed? Is it possible that newer image fraternities like R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo haplogroups in Y chromosome originated in this region? Unless we are able to establish the unique nature of the Bengal Myanmar coast, to justify the origin of these newer genetic identities, the discussion regarding migration of various ethnic fraternities from the East Coast becomes baseless and also the spread of Indian languages. Interestingly, R1 alpha haplogroup in Y chromosome genetic identity is found in the entire Indo-European language speaking territory extending from Eastern India to Western Europe. Thus, this entire territory is clearly linguistically and genetically continuous. Europe also has high percentage of urban Bravo haplogroup in Y chromosome genetic identity. These genetic identities found in various other regions of Asia including India and Mesopotamia and also in the Afro-Asian speaking Central Africa. Interestingly, an isolated pocket of these genetic identities found on the east coast of India which has not received the required attention so far. These isolated pockets need to be included while charting the early migration path of the fraternity. In fact, these isolated pockets could be their oldest settlements. Presently, it is believed that R1 alpha and R1 bravo haplogroups in Y chromosome both originated in Eastern Europe near the European Stipi and Anatolia region. However, many scholars consider that the origin of R1 alpha in South Asia cannot be ruled out. In fact, Underhill, who conducted a widespread genetic analysis of the Indo-European speaking territory, marked a region near Gujarat as having the oldest R1 alpha and several Himalayan pockets where the concentration of R1 alpha is extremely high. This itself clashes with the hypothesis of European Stipi as the site of origin of R1 alpha. A number of Aboriginal tribes live in the Andaman archipelago, however there is very little discussion about who were these people, when and how did they reach there. The only possible explanation is that they walked into the Andaman archipelago from the Bengal Myanmar coast when a land bridge formed. During the glacial maximum, the sea level subsides by about 400 feet or 130 meters and the Bengal coastline recedes connecting Andamans with the mainland. During glacial period, for several thousand years, a huge coastal landmass surfaces between the Bengal and Myanmar coast, which is referred to as the Bengal Glacial Coastal Self in this book. At this time, the population of two distinct genetic territories, the east coast of India and Southeast Asia intermix. And this genetic union produces newer genetic identities like R1 alpha and R1 bravo haplogroups in Y chromosome. As the seawater gradually rises during the interglacial period, this coastal landmass submerges, displacing the settled population. 
they settled on the bengal coast and adopted various animal symbols as their ethnic identity to begin with they were bare bodied and were known as nanga who adopted the naga or serpent as their ethnic symbol it is possible that their mother goddess was kali who is also depicted bare bodied these early fraternities eventually migrated following the trans himalayan migration routes pivoting mount kailash the indus valley civilization emerged on this route they continued their journey and established the egyptian and greek civilizations it is extremely crucial to establish the site of origin of r1 alpha and r1 bravo haplogroups in y chromosome on the east coast of india 10000 years ago because that will provide us the direction of the migration of the post glacial period amh fraternities and also the reason for the spread of indian language and culture about 10000 years ago r1 bravo haplogroup in y chromosome migrated to africa establishing the egyptian civilization and spreading pali language in the mediterranean region similarly about 5800 years ago r1 alpha haplogroup in y chromosome migrated to eastern europe along with the spoken sanskrit language one of my most favorite subjects is arranging the animal symbols i'm sure this is likely to become a major global subject in future a number of fraternities emerged on the bengal glacial coastal shelf and each adopted an animal symbol as their ethnic identity those who lived on the coastal region adopted coastal species like fish turtle swan and naga or snake while those who lived in the interior forest and led a life of hunter gatherers adopted forest animal species like naga tiger monkey and elephant as their ethnic identity i have also described that they named their distant settlements after the indian names of those animal species and it is actually possible to identify many such settlements all over the world like baghdad hathi hattusa gajo and so on minion for that matter from min in fact many cities territories rivers kings and kingdoms have purely indian names though so far their etymology were generally considered as having originated from greek and latin words it is it appears that it is more rational to consider that these names originated from the indian origin languages rather than from ancient european languages i have discussed this in details in the book i have managed to arrange all the common animal symbols seen in the archaeological structures all over the world in a flow chart this is a global language where each human fraternity used an animal symbol as their ethnic identity mind that we are discussing here a subject like animal symbol which is not yet available in the global encyclopedia in the google encyclopedia but it has the potential to become a global subject once its once its significance is appreciated let us try to establish a continuous genetic connectivity between the east coast of india and the afro asian speaking central africa where this r1 bravo is also available these connectivity can best be established if we arrange the footprints of the r1 bravo haplogroup it is easy to identify the early migration route as it has created various pockets of r1 bravo haplogroup in indian subcontinent and abroad a genetic study by sharma et al conducted in 2009 as late as 2009 10 12 years ago 
established presence of a pocket of R1 Bravo among West Bengal population. This confirms the origin of the migration path from the east coast of India. Thereafter, we find traces of R1 Bravo all along the proposed migration path bifurcating at Mount Kailash. West Bengal has 6.5% R1 Bravo, Punjabi is 7.6%, Pathan 9.5%, Pakistani Hazara 32%, Baloch 8% and so on. They are all along the proposed migration route. There are enough evidences to establish that Indian origin fraternities had spread to the distant land. In fact, Lieutenant Wilford published an article in the Asiatic Researchers Journal in 1794, more than 200 years ago, which was published from the Asiatic Society Kolkata, which mentioned that the Nile River was known as Kali River in the ancient times. The British officers who arrived at the early phase of their occupation in India conducted such studies because this was the global concept at that time. Europeans possibly believed at that time that India was the source of all knowledge. In fact, it is possible that goddess Kali manifested as Black Athena in the early Greek civilization and as Black Madonna in the rest of Europe. There are many churches in the name of Black Madonna. It is intriguing that how a fair complexion fraternity worshipped a dark complexion deity. In all probability, initial Europeans were dark complexion people and they worshipped these deities when they were dark complexion community themselves. At a later date, Indian origin fraternities returned to India due to different reasons and over a period of time. Initially, they traveled via land route and later by sea route. During the land route migration period, Indus Valley civilization formed an intermediate transit camp and the Himalayan migration took place along the Uttarapath. At a later date, they travel by the sea route. The return of the Indian population is referred to as the reverse migration of the Indian origin fraternities in this. I would like to draw your attention especially towards several Pali-speaking kingdoms referred to as Sodosho Mahajanapadas or 16 megacities. They were established by the reverse migration Indian origin fraternities who returned from the Mediterranean coast and Red Sea region by ship. They as such has, had named their settlement on the Mediterranean coast as Palestine, which has now become Palestine. This mass reverse migration took place before 6th century BC, as they got recorded during that time only in Pali texts in the Buddhist and Jain scriptures. They are not mentioned in Sanskrit texts in compiled form. It appears that these Pali-speaking fraternities arrived in India prior to the reverse migration of the Sanskrit-speaking fraternities. We can clearly show that Indian languages and cultures spread to distant lands along with the early fraternities. They not only spread but actually continued to live there for several thousand years. In fact, these Indian origin languages were much in use there till they returned to India in, in mass. It is difficult to convincingly establish the origin of the modern civilization in India unless we manage to establish that the recent genetic data also favors the hypothesis that Indian origin people traveled to the Mediterranean coast, Egypt and Greece. This event took place 10,000 years ago. Similarly, onward migration of the Indian origin fraternities to Europe took place around 8,000 to 6,000 years ago. While the reverse migration of Indian origin fraternities took place only 4,000 to 2,000 years ago and even later, the reverse migration of the Indian origin fraternities from Europe is popularly known as the Indo-Aryan invasion.
what should we do now to claim and establish that the modern civilization spread from India? We should draw the attention of the global scholars towards the Andaman tribes still present in the archipelago. This establishes that pre-glacial period anatomical modern fraternities continuously lived in India. We should discuss about their migration path, thereby establishing and introducing the concept of glacial and interglacial periods resulting in the rising and lowering of the sea level. We should establish the concept of emergence and submersion of the Bengal glacial coastal shelf. We should establish that post-glacial period anatomical modern fraternities originated like, like the R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo originated on the Bengal glacial coastal shelf as pre-glacial period anatomical modern humans lived here. After all, babies are likely to be born where their parents live. This is the most important issue. Once this is accepted, world civilization would belong to the Indian origin people. We should discuss that Indian origin fraternities spread to distant lands as the Bengal glacial coastal self submerged. Each animal symbol representing a fraternity and majority of them can be found in India and all over the world. We had the skill of stone cutting and transporting those huge stone blocks. We created many wonders all over the world as long as the Indian origin people dominated Egypt and Europe. And they continued to create marvelous stone-cut temples like the Koilas Temple of Ellora and others in India till a very recent time. There are thousands and thousands of fantastic temples in India. We introduced the color code all over the world. Our deities have specific complexions. Flag of many countries have specific colors similar to those and often those animal symbols also embossed on their flag. We introduced terracotta, which continues as an art in India even today. We introduced Pali and Sanskrit, which served as the root languages of many language families all over the world. Possibly Pali reached Palestine and Sanskrit in Eastern Europe. It is possible to establish the reverse migration of the Indian origin fraternities from Egypt or Red Sea region and Europe by land and sea route. And finally, we must appreciate that Gangaridi was a militarily powerful Indian kingdom as recorded by the Greek, Roman and Egyptian historians about which even Alexander was aware and did not dare to attack. This will automatically establish that knowledge of other subjects like astronomy, astrology, mathematics, philosophy, medicine, metallurgy and so on also spread from India. We suspect this knowledge transfer from India to the West but fail to establish them convincingly. The British did a very smart thing. They eliminated each of these issues from Indian syllabus. Unfortunately, we are still following the British syllabus in many subjects. Thus, these issues remain out of our syllabus and hence, we have no time or forums to discuss on these. I do not have time to elaborate on each point here either, but have explained them in my book, India in Egypt. Recent genetic data are in our favor. They need to be correctly interpreted and arranged. This genetic map was also created and published by the Western scholars. If you search in the Google for R1 Bravo genetic haplogroup, you will find this map. It clearly establishes that even today, a pocket of R1 Bravo haplogroup remain confined to the Bay of Bengal coast. I do not know why there is no discussion about such pockets of R1 Bravo haplogroup detected in the Indian territory in the recent studies. 
absence of footprints in the nearby region suggests that they have not arrived here later from the western world on the contrary this suggests that arvan bravo haplogroup originated on the bengal glacial coastal shelf during the last glacial period and spread from here to the rest of the world wherever they are found today these isolated islands are the oldest pockets of arvan bravo haplogroup this perfectly matches with our view that bengal coast is a unique territory where r1 alpha and r1 bravo genetic identities originated similarly a continuous migration path of r1 alpha haplogroup which spread from the bengal coast with a root language to the entire indo european speaking territory can be arranged thank you very much for your patient hearing jai hind while the audience warms up sir i have a few questions uh, so my first two questions are regarding the timeline uh, one thing is this thing i had actually asked anjali kanojia ji also who was with us uh, a while ago she has written a book called politics and promise on yoga so i wanted to know about uh, this entire politics behind saying that kinetic yoga predates um, indian yoga and kinetic yoga is said to be originating from egypt and the second thing is that recently in egypt they have found something that uh, looks like a battery but we know that electricity and battery has been written about um, in great length in the agastya samhita which we know as the skanda puran in the 12th century so how do we uh, give basis how do uh, the present news is trying to show as if egypt through egypt these things had have gone everywhere but it's actually through india that it went to egypt so how exactly can we form a basis for that see it is not possible for a single individual to know everything about every subject i am trying to approach the subject that uh, like all every information the information you have mentioned we are getting either from text or from some scriptures you know so that is the text is 3 to 4000 years in case of egyptian hieroglyphic maybe little earlier and the scripts or, or, or the or the or the images what we see may have existed since 5000 years that is a period you are stuck with i am trying to take you beyond that period how do we very precisely in a scientific manner arrange the the events of the period beyond that that is only possible when we arrange the genetics who is the grandfather who is the grandson this issue that whether it came from in whether it went from india to egypt or egypt to india will never 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 be solved unless we establish genetically that look i am the grandfather and you are the grandson through a very scientific subject which is genetics you know so that is why uh, we have to keep genetics parallelly uh, when we approach any subject any other subject this discussion or this confusion will remain whether it travel from here to there or it travel from there to here unless we pinpoint the western scholars with the genetic data which they have generated you know the advantage is we keep talking about ki this is there in my literature this is there in their literature but here is a data which have been generally 
I mean, most extensive, extensively generated and published by the Western world. We are just analyzing the available data and unfortunately or fortunately for us, in the last 10, 15 years, lot of new data has come up and we are not discussing that. So I, uh, uh, I mean, my answer is we will get stuck. We are getting stuck. In fact, if you remember the third slide that when we approach the subject with one subject, I mean, issue, this issue of migration or, or pre-recorded period migration with one subject, we are likely to get stuck because the problem will remain that we see the yogic images there, we see the images here, whether it had traveled from there to here. The problem will remain unsolved because it, the, the, it can only be solved with the latest data. Now, latest and most scientific data, and fortunately for us, here we are not telling that it is there in my literature. Here we are telling it is you who have generated this data. Uh, I mean, that includes your yoga, yoga and battery both, you know, because uh, these, image, these images were created in the last 5,000 years. The textual documents were created in the last, in, in case of India, 2,500 years. In their case, it is four to 5,000 years. But you will get stuck there. And, uh, and, and you won't find any definitive solution if you try to approach them convincingly that, look, this is what I think. They will say this exactly the opposite, I think. So that, that year will remain. Whereas when we give data which were generated by them, only thing is nobody is discussing the genetic data which has emerged in the 10, last 10, 15 years. Western world is, I think they are a little indecisive on this, how to explain this. And when, uh, when we, then we have to take the mantle, you know, we have to make an attempt to establish that. Hey, look, you please come here and we will, explain it from our end and then if all the puzzles are solved you know all the puzzles are solved now it is up to you whether you accept this view or reject this view if you reject this view please explain please explain the genetic data you have generated and and not discussing you know we are interested in discussing those data and that will answer everything that's that's from my side. So just Good one more question before I head on to the other participants. Um, we have three participants who have already raised their hands, actually. The only thing I wanted to know is the interest that Egyptians have, native Egyptians have in this kind of history, because it is now a widely Islamic nation, and they are very obsessed with making everything Muhammad-centric. So how interested are they in their own history or, the his, or this kind of connection that we all are trying to make? See... Uh, we have to go beyond their period. You know, the history, uh, the Islamic period, we have to pre, we go to a period where uh, this concept had not originated. The fact remains, ki when you ask the present population of Egypt, they are unable to explain the images which are created there 5,000 years ago or 3,000, 4,000 years ago. They are unable to associate them with any of their present deities. We can do that. As I have shown, I can associate Horus with Hori. I can associate Isis with uh, uh, Sri. I can associate Osur with Osiris. Because they were our deities which went there and got embossed there for three to four thousand or two to four thousand years ago, 
and we are still nurturing them as our deities. I can correlate them. It is possible that never before in the past nobody attempted such a year because, as I told you, Europeans' method of teaching has erased any such thinking in our mind that Indian civilization was the root of knowledge. You know, and I have mentioned also why, see, you have given me very little time, but I have touched each point, like I have mentioned, that 300 years ago, the Britishers who had come, if you read their research papers, they came with, a, with an attitude that India is the source of knowledge. And then when Macaulay came in 1834-35, after that, British changed the Indian education system and imposing their syllabus on us. Since then, this, in, in these 200 years, they have brainwashed us and we have forgotten that we can actually claim that we were the oldest civilization till these 15 years ago when new genetic data are making very their view very difficult for us to accept. Yes, we have so far not challenged. I do not know whether anybody has challenged with the available genetic data. Ki ab you please come and either explain what you have got or listen to what we have to say. And then we will decide. A global forum will decide which is more rational, which is more scientific, and which is more acceptable. But somebody has to start the discussion. The latest genetic data are actually not in favor of the west to east migration, rather it is in favor of east to west migration. And all other subjects are secondary information we will get stuck if we follow only what is there in Mahabharata, what is there in Ramayana, what is there in astrology, what is there in Yeh, unless we, we convince them with genetic data. Though I'm not a geneticist, but I think uh, and in the present situation, we have to parallelly uh, consider available genetic data. Uh, namaste, Miraji. Namaste, namaste. So, uh, presentation with you have raised so many questions and given an answer to quite a few of them. I've got three small questions, time permitting. Let me ask from the reverse. Okay. See, the last slide which you showed, you said R1B, that haplograph. Now, I find there is a, it had Asia, that is China, Southeast Asia, and part of Middle East and Europe. This R1B group and R1 Alpha and Bravo groups, I found it only from India and towards Europe. The complete portion of China and Southeast Asia is blank and white. Now, how authentic is this data? Have they not done this or were there no alpha beta groups in these places at all? This is a very relevant question, but let me tell you what a, why we are discussing more about R1 alpha and R1 bravo. Entire European population can be divided essentially between R1 alpha and R1 bravo. Now, European people started these genetic studies let us say 50 years ago. So they have collected, because they are essentially interested in R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo, they have collected fantastic data about R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo because entire Europe is that. Now, 
incidentally, R1 Bravo, they are claiming that it originated in uh, Europe, but this R1 Bravo is available in Central Africa also, and the Central African language, let us, I mean, just to counter that it couldn't, couldn't have gone from Europe to Central Africa, is because Europe and Central Africa is linguistically not continuous. Whereas Central Africa, R1 Bravo, and India, because the, the R1 Bravo population of Africa are actually Afro-Asian speaking population. Now, some Asian language element was, is there, whoever is speaking R1, I mean, whoever is having R1 Bravo. So, and the rest of, uh, it, it's, it's a complex uh, discussion, okay, apart from R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo, which are the other genetic identities? As you mentioned, okay, you don't find R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo in, in this part of Asia or Southeast Asia. Now, there has to be some other genetic identities other than R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo. R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo maps are extensive and very detailed maps are available because enter Europe is R1 Alpha and they're interested in finding where are the R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo. Now, when we go into OM genetic identity, we find that OM, that is Austroasia, Texania, are also there in India. As I mentioned, the, apart from these two, you will find they have found in India, be south of India Parbat, a totally different genetic identity, and they have labeled that as ancestral South Indian, which does not mean anything. But when they have included India in the in the last, let us say, 34 to 20, 20, 25 years, they have included India in the genetic studies and they have found very bizarre findings. But nobody is discussing that. Now, why there nobody is discussing? Because it cannot be easily explained by the view they are trying to impose on us. It is contradicting that view. So nobody is discussing. Now we have to Particularly, we have to be interested in, in discussing these issues which are not fitting into their hypothesis. Then you have to think about a new hypothesis. When you, what I'm doing is I'm giving a new hypothesis where these confusing genetic data about India is getting perfectly arranged. And that my answer to you is apart from R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo, there are other genetic identities because that is not the major population of Europe does not yet. So the genetic study about these populations are little less, they are not as extensively available. And this this genetic identity is different from R1 Alpha and R1 Bravo. Namaste. It was really a nice presentation and a great study made by you. And I really appreciate the efforts uh, that and the years that you might have put into this. Uh, I am uh, curious about one uh, book where I have read that there was a migration from uh, India after the Mahabharata period. There was a Yadavi. What we said is Yadavi. Yadav people fought amongst uh, themselves after the Mahabharata about uh, 36 years back. After uh, uh, 36, 36 years back, 
after after 36 years of the mahabharata war okay okay there was a yadavi what is the period of mahabharata war yeah it is it a was lot of confusion about the period i i consider it as a 5000 years ago uh, before uh, christ so okay so 7000 years ago yeah might be 6000 years ago okay uh, it is uh, uh, what we say is the yugabd presently it is going on 6000 yugabd so it is uh, between say 4000 to 5000 years back there was a yadavi after the uh, uh, before just uh, the uh, incarnation of uh, lord krishna was uh, uh, to uh, you know he was to end his uh, life and before that he made certain groups of yadav people uh, of their uh, khan and they may he make them shift to different continents and uh, one of that uh, it was many uh, such uh, groups were prepared by him and he made some these people or other groups to travel towards the uh, eastern side and via hindu kush uh, these uh, ranges they went to iran that is persia then uh, some western them, side you want to mean towards western side western western side western mm-hmm. side i i sorry i am sorry western side and then went to persia egypt then jerusalem and then to europe some of them spread uh, located rather stayed in the period like persia then some of them uh, settled in egypt some of them settled in jerusalem some of them settled in uh, europe like that so uh, yadav there is a there is a similarity uh, of the words between yadav and yahudis that is jews then uh, there is a similarity of the word krishna as against uh, lord christ then uh, there is a similarity in many words Uh, in in avesta uh, which are come, have come from rigveda as we said so this there is a migration uh, what i feel it is the root also is the followed by the same because what you have mentioned the root traveled is uh, maybe a sea route but it is a sea route also they have mentioned like, like from the kutch they might have gone to uh, iran via uh, shiru ship route and then they might have crossed uh, the to uh, entire uh, iran uh, what we say today and then might have gone to jerusalem and all that area so there is a link uh, what we have uh, observed uh, in your lecture which i have read few uh, few months ago i have read one book and in, in that they have mentioned that there this particular uh, yadav migration is a result of uh, afterwards it was resulted into these particular uh, communities uh, of jews and uh, and uh, the persians and all that what what is your your opinion, opinion on that see uh, when we uh, the if the purpose of our presentation is con- to convincingly establish a hypothesis which is Uh, which is on the basis of globally acceptable approach then if we go by a caste name or oblique yadav fraternity 
uh, we don't know whether you will be able to convince the rest of the world, whatever is your source of information. But when we approach it in a scientific, in a more little more scientific manner with genetic data that look, your genetic data, uh, see, basically we are parallel. What are the migration path I'm mentioning? You are also mentioning the same, same approach, same directions. So uh, you can approach the way you want using your data, using your source of information. Uh, whereas I thought, uh, if I mention like this, then uh, it will be difficult for me to convince the Western world. Whereas if I use a, a little more precise and scientific data, like, uh, you know, I'm compiling things from every source. But if I keep taking, I everybody is open to approach the subject with his own data and his own method. My method is this, I will approach with textual records, but textual record ends in 2005, then comes archeology. span So I have arranged every possible information from every possible source, except in Indian, as far as Indian source is concerned, I have only taken from Rig Veda. What is there in Rig Veda is quite acceptable because in the meantime, Rig Veda has become acceptable to the global community. Whatever, because they they even claim that Rig Veda is written by them. So Rig Veda, what is there in Rig Veda is acceptable. So if I manage to quote something from Rig Veda, I don't leave that opportunity. If, if I find something in favor of me written in Rig Veda, I am quoting it. In fact, I, at random, I have quoted from Rig Veda in my text, in my book. But when we go about other Indian uh, records, then I don't know whether that will be more acceptable to the global community. It is, uh, but as I mentioned, your approach and my approach, uh, let me tell you one thing. Some time ago, in the month of November, this 22 November, I got an opportunity to give a long lecture at Tel Aviv in Bar Elan University in Tel Aviv. They invited me. So I gave a two-hour lecture in that. I mentioned what are the different things which, which are common between the Mediterranean coast and India. In fact, I am starting with Egypt, but my territory is entire Mediterranean region, you know. Indian origin people established this Mediterranean coast settlements. Jericho is one of the oldest, which I went to see actually. It's in Israel. And then even in Jordan also. So I was covering both Jordan and Israel and I got an opportunity. I told them, look, you always mention about what happened during Christ time and after that, but have you ever given a serious thought about who were the people now, Jericho is 9,000 years old and Christ is 2,000 years old. Who were the people during this pre-Christ period there? What was their characteristic? What have you find in your archaeological sites? They were Indian origin people. So at that time, they said, I've, we had a discussion about my, the contents of my book also, because I have given very precise maps. What I, What is the migration path here? So, they said we have never thought in that direction, in this direction. But at the same time, as you mentioned about Israel, let me tell you, Israel has had given visa to the Mesos. I have mentioned in my video, Israel is a very advanced country. They have very little physical territory. 
they are very conscious about giving permanent visa to a single person they had given to mesos probably after genetic analysis probably after convincing themselves that they are actually our own people now here some nobody is explaining them how in which path along which path mesos reached from israel well a very simple term is they are our lost tribes fine and they have confirmed that certainly they belong to the same genetic identity but which path they reached nobody is discussing that i find in northeast india in 6th century temple greek art nobody is explaining that how did it reach it is not there in our history so if it is not there in i'm i'm going by ground evidences what is there all over the indian subcontinent let us keep arranging them and answering each these are puzzles to us but a narrative has to be there which should be able to explain all these puzzles which we find at every corner of india including andaman archipelago andaman archipelago is such a fantastic evidence we are we we don't even discuss that we don't even discuss that look here is the pre glacial period population where is the doubt please come and i'll show you you are doing the genetic analysis of that people you are only saying that one group is 40000 years old and the other group is much younger so that confirms that continuously anatomical modern human lived in india so this is the best place for post glacial period identities like r1 alpha and r1 bravo to form why should it form in europe just because today you have more of r1 bravo there that does not uh, explain your father and mother if you don't have pre glacial period population and i'm 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 mentioning why they don't have is because glacial during glacial maximum it becomes they become extinct any human settlement not only human even any other species you will find so many varieties of species of deer in india hanuman in india you don't find that in the rest of uh, europe what does that mean that india these these species continuously lived in india and produced subspecies which has not happened there because every 15 20000 years everything gets a new they start with a new blackboard but the previous period evidences remain you know 40000 years ago some people went there and lived there for few thousand years so they must have drawn something and you so evidence of their but the continuous survival what i'm harping on is here is a country where evidences ground evidences of continuous survival of anatomical modern human is present why are you convincing us that people of india came from different directions it is the i mean it is india which has evidences now we have to discuss with available evidence now i am the i am having the evidence and i am accepting their view that everybody came to india from different directions so i mean i thought i am approaching the subject with ground evidence and in a scientific manner but there are 101 way to approach the subject like you are mentioning sir that you are going by that yadavs went that side and what i am saying is if they were they were sanskrit speakers now 6000 years ago a sanskrit speaking fraternity went from india to eastern europe but that language remained in kathu language or oral language we were not writing at that time but the language went from here and when they were coming back during reverse migration by then script had formed 
so they these the migrating fraternities who were coming back were actually writing so now they are claiming that they have written everything which is um well we have to counter that with yeki that your grandfather had gone gone from here and the grandson is writing grandson is coming back i mean it is not grandfather and grandson in between they were they went 6000 years ago and they came back to to 3000 years ago so i am quite happy with the answer given by him but uh, i just shared the knowledge uh, uh, rather uh, the information which i had uh, got from some other book and uh, i am very much uh, thankful for the answer and the approach uh, given by uh, sir so i am very much uh, thank you thank you very much i sir, i i need this sort of uh, questions so that uh, you know uh i have to think about whether i am i am unable to answer anything you know so i i need shooting of questions from different direction on different subject but generally i will stick to uh, how i have approached the subject veraji a second question if you don't mind you know you had in one of your uh, the picture you had shown you had also mentioned that that arun b had moved from southeast asia along the north northern belt up along the northern subcontinent of india on to europe now uh, i could not follow arun bravo has moved from southeast asia no no southeast asia i have not shown see i am not showing any of my map i am just showing in my presentation the map which is available in the internet uh, created by the western scholars so there they it, it does not show in any other pocket in southeast asia it is in bay of bengal okay sorry i'll put it like yeah from bay of bengal you know we know that uh, the mongoloid influence in this in the southeast asia is there and andaman nicobar is there is more of negroid and how did this all transfer into a caucasian uh, facial what do you call caucasian type when it reaches europe so you are your answer is within your question now point is all of us were negroid long time ago we have many negrito you know we don't use these terms anymore basically aboriginal tribes of andamans they look very similar to the original human fraternity or who had come from africa i had the opportunity to physically examine some of them so i have seen their hair their teeth their sclera they are quite different from the aboriginal i mean the tribals of central india or east in india now here i have mentioned ki the jarawange sentinel is possibly managed to enter andaman archipelago about 40 to 50000 years ago so here is a life fraternity in our museum who belong to that period and nowhere else in the world you will find a pure 50000 year old human fraternity who cannot interact with anybody else in the sense ki here they got isolated 50000 years they got isolated and remained in pure form 
in the mainland what happens is there is some sort of mixing and you don't remain in pure form so in andaman we find one specific a which these jarawanga sentinel is that physical feature is our physical feature 50000 years ago our ancestors had entered through the bengal myanmar coast walking into the andaman archipelago 50000 years ago the next group that the great andaman is entered possibly 20 to 25000 years later during the next wave of migration which took place in that during the next glacial period now this glacial period or glacial maximum occurs at an interval of 25000 years you know it's it's a it's a cycle that uh, the sea water goes down and then in the next cycle it comes up it goes down during glacial period and the lowest level it reaches we call that global glacial maximum and then it starts gradually climbing up submerging the land which surfaces and maximum height it reaches is during the peak interglacial period that is our period now that is why andaman is 900 km away from us in between there is a big sea but the bay of bengal is not called bengal sea is because this sea is very shallow now you have to see the government of india map of the uh, bay of bengal region you will find if the water goes down then the andaman gets physically connected and that is why somebody has to explain how aboriginal tribes of andaman entered there now the last group entered there about 20000 years 16000 years ago some of them when the andaman got dissociated in the one uh, as the sea water started rising andaman archipelago got dissociated from the mainland at that time some people remained there and when their bengal glacial coastal self submerged they had to come to the bengal coast bengal coast was one of the permanent settlement zone now these people now we are terming these people as post glacial post glacial period population these are one alpha and are one bravo originator on the bengal coast now we are terming that andaman were pre glacial period population that is continuous with the south of india parbat population and the the anatomical modern human who formed after the glacial period we are terming them as post glacial period population now this post glacial period population or let us say arwan alpha and arwan bravo they went to europe during when the migration path opened that is when the himalayan river started flowing they reached europe now when they reached europe in 2 3000 years they acquired these caucasoid features if you leave if my grandson goes to europe or to usa in in the northern part in 20 generations in actually 3 4 generation they will become fair complexion they will become tolerant taller like that so because these our ancestors lived there for 4 5000 years that is so many generations so many generations they acquired a completely different physical feature because i personally feel more because of environmental effect in the sense the northern europe will have much later sunlight we are pigmented i'm dark complexion people or not so dark but anyway we have more of pigment in our skin in our iris that is why we have dark dark iris if 
I don't get enough sunlight exposure, I will start losing pigment. God will say you don't need that much of pigment. So that is what is happening. And the physical feature of Caucasoid picture is because of the environmental effect. They are exposed to much less sunlight. They lose pigment. They become fair. Same thing happens with Mongoloid also. So these are environmental effect essentially. Of course, they, once they acquire that, then it becomes a genetic identity. His son will become like that, even if he comes back to India. But essentially, these features, change of features are environmental effect. And when some of them are coming back to India, we find India as a mixture of various physical features because some has come back from Egypt, some has come back from Europe. And you, for those people who are coming back from Europe are actually bringing the physical features. So my hypothesis is that is the effect of the reverse migration. But essentially, their genetic identity is not changing. That is why you will find uh, uh, we, we don't get any new genetic identity which has come from west to east. We find that genetic identity is very similar to what we have indigenous in the indigenous population. I don't know whether I have uh, fully clarified your uh, question, but this is my answer. Yes. Everyone talks of uh, the origin of man from Africa. Why not from South America, which had a similar, uh, you know, we have a forest in South America, we have open savannas, we have open grasslands. How come that nobody talks of human beings or the original man coming from South America? Of course, we uh, have people talking of of people uh, I am not, uh, you know, this you have to ask the pure geneticist, but this is a finding which have been accepted all over the world that anatomical modern human or this, uh, you know, homo erectus and yeah, this, this evolution took place essentially in Africa is the permanent host of anatomical modern human or, or the, this evolution took place in Africa, including origin of an ancestral, I mean, anatomical modern human, that they migrated from Africa out to rest of the world. And my view is when they migrated, they came to India and India is the only other place where they survived during both glacial and interglacial period for this entire period of 65,000 years. And we actually have evidences in our country to establish what I'm saying, which nobody is considering. The, the pathetic part is, have you ever heard any discussion about who are these Andamanis? No. I don't know because it is not there in our syllabus because this has not happened in Europe. So it is not there in European syllabus. It is not there in European syllabus. So it is not there in uh, England syllabus. If it is not there in England syllabus, how can it be in our syllabus? When this, you can see that you have a species which they don't have, forget about their syllabus. What about your syllabus? Nobody will explain that. Nobody will think about that. That how did these people reach there? No, it is not there in our syllabus. So if it is not there, we need not discuss. Now, if, we, if it is not there in your syllabus, it is not discussed in any forum for that matter. 
so then we will not know ki the moment you think about andaman population who are still alive then you have to start thinking about how did they reach there that is about the land bridge the moment you start about thinking about the land bridge you have to think about that bengal sea or bay of bengal is a very shallow place and there is a question of sea water going up and down resulting in periodic formation of land bridge to andaman and people entering from here and we have preserved them as live specimen so it will not be there in our uh, syllabus it's very funny they are indian we we are not discussing about south pole and north pole we are discussing about indian passport holders we are discussing but no there is no discussion whatsoever neither from the scientific forum nor from public so i am trying to bring all these ground evidences and into my narrative ki somebody has to explain and include them in the narrative iska matlab kya hai ye kaise gaya and then you have to think about then submersion and formation and submersion of bengal glacial coastal cell and the moment you think about submersion that this area that bengal glacial coastal cell forms for 10000 years during the entire glacial period and then it submerges in waves it's not that in one day it, it is erased first wave second wave third wave every wave causes displaced displacement of settled population so who is going to because it's a, it's a chain reaction the moment you think about andaman population you have to think about how did they reach there what happened to bengal coast who were the people settled there what happened when they got displaced then you will be able to realign the pre recorded period of india then all the evidences which are there all over will start fitting into it i believe that uh, brings us to the end of our question and answer session uh, and it also brings us to the end of uh, this talk thank you very much dr tilak bera ji for uh, telling us about about a concept which is very obscure however is substantiated with very new methods so can often times be complex but you have managed to explain it in very simplified terms and um, thank you very much to the dedication that your whole life is to the indic cause thank you very much and namaste thank you thank you very much thank you to all the viewers